Welcome to Made Not Born, a podcast about learning to lead for creativity. I'm your host, Alison Chadwick. I coach talented people to help them become true modern leaders. Because the best creative leaders are mostly made, not born. They work out how to get the best from others through a sometimes messy but always fascinating journey of highs, lows and lessons. And this podcast is all about exploring that made, not born journey. About seeing that leadership is something you can learn and picking up a little wisdom about how. I'm talking to some inspiring leaders with great stories to tell, inviting them to share what they've learned about leading for creativity from their own successes and their struggles, and what they're still learning now. So let's talk about leading for creativity with my guest today, Kenneth Barlidge. Kenneth is the Managing Director of Matt Projects, the New York-based content studio who work with iconic brands like Versace, Google and Auberge to use what they describe as the force of the now to conjure up cutting-edge creative content. This exciting role is the latest in Kenneth's successful communications career, from his earliest years at Fallon, Minneapolis, through to running his own successful agency, Bird Barlidge in Manhattan, and then being MD of the high-profile fashion agency Wednesday in London. Kenneth spent the first big chapter of his career cutting an impressive path through the fashion and luxury agency world. In 2017, he made the leap to Brandside though, returning to the States as SVP of marketing at the iconic fashion house Ralph Lauren. Happily for the agency world, Kenneth has recently been tempted back to the dark side, or is it the bright side, becoming MD of Matt at the end of last year. Kenneth brings an infectious passion for creativity to his leadership, along with great business instincts and a real talent for taking people with him on the journey. Entrepreneurial, energetic and effortlessly engaging, he's the kind of person who when you meet him, you instantly want him to be either your best friend or your boss, or maybe both. I first met him when he was working at Wednesday and was impressed by his warmth, his energy and his strong instinct for leadership. So I'm delighted to have persuaded him to chat with me today. Kenneth, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining me all the way from sunny Florida. Thank you very much, Alison. Oh my, that's quite an intro. So let's start from the beginning. I'd really love to start, as I always do, by going back to the start of your journey. So where did your story begin? And maybe what were some of the important early milestones on your journey into the creative industry? Well, my origin story began in Beaufort, South Carolina. I was born on a military base. I have a unique kind of upbringing. I'm biracial. My biological mother is white and my biological father is black. But I grew up with my mom and my stepdad, who is also white, and I have five half-siblings who are all related to each other fully, then there's me. I'm literally like the black sheep of the family in a lot of ways. So, you know, it was an interesting upbringing. We were on the military base until I was six years old and then moved from South Carolina to Minnesota. So going from a little bit more diverse with the population to a really white state. So, you know, for me, it was an interesting situation because I had my family who was different than me, you know, physically and, uh, and skin color wise. And then you also have my community where I grew up in a, a small town and just south of Minneapolis. And then you have my state that's, you know, all white. So for me, I was kind of this different person who really early on understood that I was looked at differently. And there were preconceived notions of because of my skin color, what type of individual I was. I think for me, really, at the earliest age, instinctively thought, you know what, I can either fight this mentality of other people or embrace it and find ways to break through and connect with individuals to show them or prove to them that what they are perceiving is not actually who I am. 
all of that stuff is really on the surface. It's just skin color. It doesn't really define me fully. I mean, it is a part of me, but it's like there's so many other facets to me. So for me, it was a real motivator. It really sparked who I became and the paths I took because I knew that if I had to find ways to connect to all these different people on many levels. And also I think those preconceived notions were really like looked at by others in a lot of different ways. So some people, you know, thought, okay, you're black, you should be athletic. And so I, I was an athlete, but I felt a little bit of pressure that I needed to be an amazing athlete. So I worked very hard at that. You know, some of the other preconceived notions were, oh, maybe you're not as bright in school. And I you know, had to prove a point that I was. And also I just looked at everyone and I thought there are inherent things about all of us as human beings that we can all connect with one another about. And I've always tried to find those little things to pull out of people, to make those connections, to kind of show that like, look, we're the same. We're more the same than we are different. Wow, that's a fascinating story. And there's such a strong sense of your determination and spirit emerging, Kenneth, in the way that you talk about working so hard, finding your connections with people, that determination to overcome those preconceived notions about you. And tell me, did, did that sense of drive and determination carry on? Did you take it with you into your next steps, into college and then into your career? Well, definitely so. Look, I mean, for me in school, there were always these milestones that I kind of like placed in front of me. It was like, you know, doing well in school, thinking beyond that, like what were my next steps? I was an exchange student. Funnily enough, I was a Rotary exchange student. And I think you they ask you, like, which country would you prefer to be in? And I put my list together. But I ended up being in Sweden. You know, it's like, you know, from white to whiter, which was, I think, part <laughs> of the reason for them. Probably the committee probably looked at me and said, look, this guy is a different character and he's black. So, and, but he functions and, and has thrived in this kind of all white world. So he'll be perfect for a country like Sweden, which culturally is obviously different. It's a different language, even though everyone speaks like amazing English there. That was just kind of one other layer to my journey. Going beyond that past university and into my career, I think for me, what being different did when I was young was gave me goals and milestones to achieve throughout my early years that set me up, I think, for success starting into my professional career. So when you think about what happened then, do you think that drive, I suppose, that I'm really hearing in your story, you know, that you had set yourself goals, you were determined to do the best you could, you've been to Sweden and back. How did that drive kind of help you succeed in those early years, do you think? Because you started off at some great agencies like Fallon. Tell me a bit about those early years. Sweden was between high school and university. And then after that, I really didn't know what I wanted to do post-school. I thought maybe journalism. I was in English and communications, double major. And I was really kind of wrestling. So I just took a job at Banana Republic. It's so funny because I just was drawn to the idea of fashion and Banana Republic back in the day was really doing amazing things with fabrications. I mean, it's kind of their heyday and they were kind of at the forefront in a lot of ways. And it was a great introduction to fashion for me. So that was the first step. And then, you know, I was out with friends one night and one of my friends was in law school and others were in their first earlier jobs. And a woman mentioned to me, you know, we were talking about careers and I said, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And she said, you know what? You would be amazing in advertising. And I was kind of like, what? Okay. And she said, do you know, or do you realize that we have some of the best agencies? In fact, Fallon McEllicott, which was known at the time, now Fallon Worldwide, they've just been voted agency of the year for the second year in a row. You should really like talk to them. 
And funnily enough, the guy I was dating at the time, he had a friend that worked at Fallon. I remembered her name the other night, Kathy Paper. He set up a meeting for me to meet her. And I'll never forget. So this building, the old Fallon building in downtown Minneapolis, was like, I don't remember which floor, but it was the top floors of this incredible, beautiful, emerald green, shimmering skyscraper. The lift doors or elevator doors opened up into this lobby that was just spacious with the spiral staircase and the pixies are blasting over speakers. And there's a Porsche parked in the middle of the lobby and these beautiful women with headsets, you know, answering the telephones and just like young people everywhere. And there's visuals of all the brands, Miller Lite and Rolling Stone Magazine and all of these different brands who they worked with and the work that they'd done were on the walls. And I just thought to myself right then and there, wow, this is a job I want in. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I met with Kathy and it was a brilliant first meeting. I was talking to her. I was really excited. She was kind of giving me the lay of the land. And at the end of our conversation, she said to me, look, I like you. You're great, but you have no clue what this business is about. <laughs> I was like, oh, deflated, dejected. But she said, however, we have an internship program that is going to kick off in like two weeks, three weeks. And we're taking applications still. So if you're interested, I think you should apply for it. And there were hundreds of kids applying for this. And I was one of them. And so that was the start. It was me and three other women. One of them who's still there. She kind of has gone the gamut. And I think she's the president of Fallon at this point. And from there, it just kind of kept on going. I love the way that you talk about when you first went in and it was this kind of <laughs> almost like a film set. And actually what that makes me think about and I'd love to ask you about is I think sometimes when we look back to our early years, it's fascinating because we can join with that sense this is going to be amazing, you know, this amazing place that I'm joining and we're full of enthusiasm and ambition and youthful chutzpah. And then sometimes it doesn't quite work out like that. You know, maybe we're not well led or we just end up doing a job that doesn't really suit us or something. And so I, I'm always quite interested with the leaders I talked to you about when you look back to those early years, what was the experience actually like? I think I was lucky. I had a great support group. Look, there's four interns and we had this office we shared when we were at Fallon. So we had each other. I think when you're in your first gig, your first job, I think you start to really understand what it means to work hard and work late. I mean, there are big new business pitches that were happening, but because it was always through this lens of popular culture and how Fallon, I think, worked for me and the leaders we had across the board were really supportive. So I was very fortunate in that regard. And that continued through my time at Carmichael Lynch. And then there was this fortuitous moment where a colleague of mine there said, look, there's this opportunity at Peter Similar Hooks to work on Target. My wife and I are going to have twins. There's going to be a lot of travel. I can't do it. I think you would be a good candidate. So could you meet the recruiter? So I met her and I remember she told me this years later because I was kind of like, Target, I don't know. And she, and she wanted to strangle me from across the table, <laughs> but she convinced me to meet with the woman who hired me, Betsy, who is now one of my best friends, and um, Dave Peterson, the creative director and founder of the agency. And I will never forget talking about great leadership. He was one of the greatest for me because even in our interview, he started showing me creative work and wanted my point of view on things. The conversation around creativity and just that he really wanted a perspective from someone who wasn't in that fashion space truly at this stage really got me excited. And then I did get the job. And one of the first things he did for me 
basically he spent a weekend and walked me through the creative process at PMH, what his expectations were for his creative teams. Because as an account guy, we were very autonomous. We had to lead a lot of different pieces of the target business. We were basically their agency of record. Our office was right next door to corporate headquarters. The expectation was that on these shoots and during all of the meetings and everything else, that we needed to really fully understand the creative aspect of things, what the expectations were for the agency, how to speak intelligently around creative ideas, and how to be observant and engaged on set so that we were ticking off all the boxes in our mind based on all of the things that I was taught through him. So for me to get that education from him and for him to take the time to do that was incredible. Yeah, it's just great hearing you talk about that. I mean, one of the things I work with so much with my coaching clients is how incredibly motivating it is when you do take the trouble to really stretch and challenge and give autonomy to the people who are working for you because it's so easy I think in an atmosphere of creative perfection you know where there's so much control and so much sense of well it's got to be perfect to kind of just not give that autonomy and not trust people but I can really hear it in the way you talk about how he educated you and gave you that autonomy and obviously it got you to a point where you felt confident enough to go and start your own agency so your <laughs> your entrepreneurial spirit led you to up sticks from that great experience and move to New York, right, in your early 30s and start your own fashion advertising agency, Bird Barlage. So tell me about that. How did that big decision come about? And was it the adventure that you hoped it would be? I mean, is it confidence? Or, I mean, is it a little bit of like, you know, foolhardiness? Is it a little <laughs> bit of like cockiness? Is it a little bit of you're young and you're a risk taker? I always thought in the back of my head that I needed to experience lots of different things across various different agencies to get a, you know, a wealth of experience. And sometimes I was a little bit like, should I take the risk? Do I go there? And I tended to do that. I kind of knew in my brain that it was like, hmm, are you doing the smartest thing? But then my gut would say, come on, go for it. What do you have to lose? So, you know, for me, it was always like, trust your instincts and run with it. And so I decided instead of working back and forth, in New York and LA and not really having a home base as much in Minneapolis to just move to New York. I worked at Laird and Partners uh, and one of my good friends who was at PMH with me, Carl Bird, and then who moved on to Laird and Partners as well, he was getting the itch to start his own thing and to do more directing. And he asked that I join. And I said, again, in my brain thinking, I don't know, is this the right move? But I guess my gut was saying, go for it. And um, we went for it. And you did work with some fantastic brands, didn't you? Like Macy's and Levi's. As it kind of grew a bit, what did you start to learn about being a leader? I mean, you'd been senior then, of course, before as a group account director. But really, when it's your own business, the buck stops with you. So you really have to become a leader. Then what did you start to learn about how to lead others, do you think, at that point? It was scary. You're flexing such different muscles. You start to realize that the work you do and the relationships you build with clients and the revenue generated is not only affecting you, but your team and their lives. So it's like a, that added pressure. For me, I was wearing many hats. And because Carl was directing and also creative directing, my role became not just an account guy, but also the finance guy. I was an executive producer guy and I'm an HR guy and I'm a creative guy. Whilst he's doing edits at the edit house, 
I'm doing casting downtown. So I actually took on a much bigger creative role as well. So, you know, in that you're kind of leading, but you're also doing because we were a small team. It was an amazing experience. But I think for me, at the end of the day, it wasn't really scratching that itch that I had to kind of learn more and do more. So Kenneth, as your leadership career evolved from there, so from your own agency across the pond into Wednesday in London, where you were client director and then became managing director, and then, and we're accelerating forwards a bit now, then back to New York to join Ralph, I know that one of the real driving forces for you has been your passion for great creativity. That's already come through in, in the conversation today. You know, you've led so much iconic work, especially in the luxury and fashion space for world-class brands like Net-A-Porter, like Calvin Klein, H&M, and of course, Ralph. What is it about this kind of creativity that energizes you? You keep, you know, drawing back to doing culture-creating, innovative, iconic work. How do you think that passion shows up in the way that you lead for it? For me, great creative work, great ideas, great creative strategy, that ladders up to great creative thinking gets me excited. Like I just can't help it. I cheer people on. It's what drives me because I love when we can kind of crack something when we're presented a challenge and when the result or the solution is something that is bang on, right for the client and also creatively compelling, inspiring, has impact, feels authentic in its way of telling stories. And, and those are the things that drive me. And so through Wednesday, through all of those different areas, for me, I think leadership takes on all different guises and shapes and forms. It's all about the support, when to be in the forefront, when to be supporting behind the scenes, and when to be encouraging, when to just be present. And also the older you get, the more experience you get, I find that surprisingly enough, which it shouldn't be a surprise, that some things just come easier to me because I've experienced it. So I'm able to help and kind of direct and lead in that way as well. So I'd really love to push you a bit more on, on that, Kenneth, because I love what you're saying about the different facets of leadership and how what's coming through really strongly in the way you're talking about leadership is the people element of it. So you're talking about being present for people, about supporting, about directing sometimes. And I think one of the things I know about you is that you're very, very good at connecting with people. I know, I mean, going back to your origin story, you talked about needing to make your way and connect with people. And I just think that's a very interesting way of thinking about leadership, that your energy and your ability to really empathise and connect in with people creates those conditions for people to thrive. So is that something you enjoy as part of your role? Because you obviously do love the work, but do you also enjoy the people side of it, if you like, getting to the work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I always say this to prospective new hires or just in general, it's like my leadership approach or my style is one of support, one where people can feel comfortable generating ideas. I don't believe in yelling. I find it counterproductive. I find it creates a hostile work environment. Um, people shouldn't be dicks. <laughs> I mean, just don't, don't be an asshole. How about that for a rule of thumb? And that goes for everyone. Talking about some of the best mentors or leaders in my career, Another one was Eric Torstensen, who was the founder of Wednesday. I mean, talk about someone who is so highly creative, whose brain never shuts off, and who expects a lot from his teams, but is also so kind, 
He's a listener. He has compassion. He comes off because it's genuine as a really lovely human. And not only to the, you know, to a studio, to a, an entire agency, but also in pitches and presentations. I like marvel at how he's able to present, conduct himself, handle tough questions with ease and be able to on the spot collaborate with heads of businesses on really solutions. So, I mean, I think for me, he's definitely a role model. I know Eric as well as you know, and, and I couldn't agree more with everything you're saying about him. And also it makes me think again about going back to the people side of leadership for you as an MD, for example, at Wednesday, you know, one of the great challenges I think of leading for brilliant work for uncompromisingly iconic brands is working with those incredibly talented people, you know, like Eric. And it's not always easy to lead in that climate. Sometimes the most talented people are not always the easiest to lead, not because they're difficult, but because they're so ambitious and they so have this kind of rarefied talent. So how do you think you've learned to get the best from them? I mean, one thing, for example, that another of my podcast guests have said is that you have to set the conditions up for people to succeed and then just get out of the way you know get out of the way of their talent I mean does that resonate for you or what else have you learned about how to get the best out of working with really brilliant creative people yeah I think that's definitely you do need to kind of set the the stage for them and the environment so that it can feel inviting and it's a safe space being able to problem solve with them and being present I really think that's such a huge part of it you know, for me, I know my time spent at Ralph Lauren when I went over there and really helping to rebuild their internal agency. A big conscious decision on my part was to never not be in that studio because it was such chaos in the beginning as they're looking to rebuild, which means also redundancies. It was a proper triage. So when you enter that environment, one thing that says a lot is just being there physically having your door open, being able to talk to people and listen to them. It doesn't mean that everything you hear you're going to take on board, but it just shows that you care. Like work is hard enough without having to, it, to put up extra hurdles. So be that kind of person who can be a good partner, a good listener, problem solve, and encourage people to do their best work to see things in the best way that they can and to approach their job with energy and fire. You know, that's kind of the actionable stuff. I will say this, as a leader, there's tons of doubt that you also are facing every day. I mean, some days you're kind of like chest out, big strides through the studio going like, yes, you know, you're seeing it working in real time. It's clicking. The music's playing. The computers are humming. People are chatting. Everyone feels happy. They're doing their best work. And then other days you're just like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? It's, you know, there is a lot of doubt about when you have, as you were saying earlier, Allison, when you have big personalities or like an Eric or, you know, we'll talk about the partners of Matt. You have people who are talented, who have points of view, and then you kind of try to figure out where do I fit into their world and how can I add value to everything that they're doing, everything that they want and expect of me. And it starts to become externally, you're doing some things, you feel like it's the right thing, but internally it can be a real tug of war and it can be a real challenge. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's such a brilliant answer, Kenneth, I really do. And it resonates so much with so many of the clients that I work with who do work with these amazing personalities. And as you say, they're thinking, what, what value can I add? But it makes me think, actually, there's a brilliant book called Clever, which is written by some business school professors about how to lead really creative people well. And one of the things it says is that, 
even the most kind of out there creative people, big, the biggest personalities do need some leadership because they need edges, the edges in terms of clarity of expectation or support or helping create the conditions for them to succeed. It is a really fine balance. Also, I love the honesty that you're bringing to that as well around, you know, some days you're just thinking, what am I doing? You know, and I think that's so inspiring and helpful to bring to this conversation because so many leaders out there think, God, you know, can anybody tell that I don't know what I'm doing? And, <laughs> you know, you, you are confident. I know that. And you've built that confidence over the years. But I think every good leader has days when they think, gosh, you know. And then you think it's like, it's all a sham. Like, am I really as good as I think I am? I guess if you didn't have that side of the equation, and if you were just thinking all things were great, then probably they aren't. So it's a little bit of a check and balance on kind of like, all right, what things can I do better? What things can I improve on? I've been fortunate to be in a lot of different organizations and each one very distinctly different. So it's like, how can I evolve and mutate or adapt to these certain circumstances presented before me and these types of personalities to ensure that we're set up for success? And that to me is always the tricky one. And it takes time coming into an institution or an environment and trying to change things. Change is messy. There's never a perfect time for things, which I've learned long ago. You have to just dive right in, know that it's going to be chaos in some ways, know that it's not going to all be fixed overnight and be perfect, like within a week or a month. Know that some of these changes take time and you just kind of continue to persevere and forge ahead. So, Kenneth, while we're talking about the challenges of joining a new organisation and messy change and such fascinating subjects. Tell me a bit more about your recent move to Matt. So one of the things that's been a thread through your career, as we've talked about, is your ability and ambition to lead for really culturally of the moment creativity, obviously in the fashion space, that's always incredibly important. And your new role as MD at Matt seems to be a really exciting evolution of that because, of course, you're focusing there on partnering with brands to really, as you say, create culture, not just follow it. So What's really exciting about this opportunity for you and what's also challenging about it, maybe? I mean, really for me, like, look, after Ralph Lauren, I thought, okay, I've done the agency side of things. Time to move on to just let's focus on brands. That's where it's at for me now. I feel like I've kind of run the gauntlet of agency world. I'm done. And then a recruiter comes into my life and she says... I think you should meet the boys at Matt Projects. And Kenneth, what are the challenges of going into an organisation like that that has been very founder-led and going in as the new leader? I mean, it is something that I work with a lot as a coach, helping founders devolve responsibility to the next generation of leadership that they bring in. And I also work with leaders who are going into those roles. And I think they're incredible opportunities and they're also sometimes quite challenging situations to handle so are you finding any interesting lessons for yourself there about how to help those leaders devolve responsibility yeah i mean look founder-led agencies businesses has been my entire career it's always been a part of my world it's intriguing with matt because here you have a triumvirate you have three men who built this business organically together over eight years who are distinct in their personalities and uniquely talented in different ways. Each one of them bring their own kind of set of skills and talents to the table. And you have three people who've never had an MD before and who are working to rebuild a business back up during a pandemic. 
the challenges are this you come in trying to be a leader but you also know there are three partners who are heavily involved in the business who are active in day-to-day decision making and you kind of have to start to again find your way it's been a fascinating intense journey but it's been really educational for me just when you think you can't teach an old dog new tricks here comes matt projects and you have this new opportunity to learn again how to navigate through a three-person partnership how to rebuild the business during a pandemic how to bring your talents to the table how to use my superpowers which is my energy and my connectivity to humans when all I have is a screen and you're working remotely every day. So those are some of the things that I'm working through, but the future is bright. And I really believe in what these guys are doing. They're real passionate about storytelling. They're amazing storytellers and they do, they authentically tell stories that helps brands to be their best selves. Tap folks who can tell amazing stories and you will, it'll uplift you as a brand and you will look and be more authentic as a brand because of it. Representing the underrepresented, which isn't about like a cast of you know models that were ticking boxes, but really tapping into the human condition because in this day and age, in this environment, the political environment, the racial environment, and not only in the US, but in the UK recently, brands know this and they're coming to us to say like, look, we need help. And what can you help us with that we can be telling better stories we can be tapped into culture especially in the us which is our specialty and we can be better at representing the underrepresented in everything that we do and we can get out to a lot of people through um, various different tech and innovation so yeah it's been a journey and it's just you know it hasn't been that long so who knows what's going to happen in another year or two who knows indeed but it does sound like a really exciting journey and i think a couple of things i'd really love to underline in the way that you talked about it there, kind of particularly because I think they are superpowers for you that we've been weaving through this conversation, but also I think they're just really helpful and relevant things to think about around that. How do you come into a founder-led business and lead well? And they're two really simple things, but I think one of the things is that what you were saying about the connectivity to humans. I mean, right from your early days, that's been a superpower for you, as you said, that energy, but that empathy, that connectivity, and just meeting each other in each other's view of the world and connecting on a really human level and taking the time to build those relationships I think is an incredibly important part of establishing strong leadership team and becoming part of an already strong leadership team and I think the other thing that I loved about what you were saying there is the fact that you said I just really believed in what they were doing because I think that sense of being able to unite around a shared ambition a shared sense of mission and excitement about what are we trying to do here and you talk so beautifully about what it is you're trying to do again I think that can transcend differences and it can transcend control anxieties and some of the things that can get in the way you know of, of coming in to lead in an organization so I just think those two things in particular for me really stand out in terms of of course you go in and think well how can I add value but actually just really building those relationships and connecting but also uniting together with real clarity around what are we trying to achieve here again it's that whole thing of you set an agenda or we think we're mapping out building the roadmap and then it, the next week it changes or it morphs or it's refined one thing I really noticed in my career is when you're in a studio or in with a team or business and you're trying to make improvements and you're trying to move everything forward one of the things i realize is the more things you improve upon the more glaring the things that haven't improved become so you can't let that bring you down because i find that you can easily be like ugh 
we're failing here, but you have to remember. And also those things become glaring and everyone points them out. And then you think, oh, maybe that's on me because I haven't like fixed that yet. But guess what? You're only human. There's only 24 hours in a day. There's only so much you can do as an individual in a day. And it's sometimes, I think we touched upon this earlier, Alison, as leaders, you have to then take a step back. And it's a little bit of self-care and a check-in with yourself to say, look, we've accomplished this, this, and this. Those other things will come. Don't let it irritate you because you want it all to happen like now. And so does everyone else, but you just have to realize, guess what? People always gripe about change, but when it happens, and then you look six months earlier and you go, look where we come from, from six months before. So we're not gonna get it all right. We're not gonna have it all fixed, but boy, we've progressed by leaps and bounds and we'll continue to do so. I think that's a great attitude about leading change on so many levels. I mean, one of the things that I always say when I'm coaching my clients on leading change is that leading change is a marathon, not a sprint. It takes time and you need to almost imagine yourself like an athlete running a marathon. You know, you need breaks, you need to run at a realistic pace, you can't sprint it, you need sustenance along the way. I don't want to stretch the analogy too far, but my point, I guess, is that it can be really tiring and it can be dispiriting. And you're absolutely right that it also can be very, very easy to focus too much energy on what are we not fixing yet and what haven't I got to yet. And as you say, that will kind of drain your energy. So one of the things I always encourage leaders to do is focus yourselves and others on the progress you are making and on the things that have changed at least a little bit because it will give you energy for the rest and as you say I love the way that you say you know guess what we're only human I think it's absolutely right and it's a very helpful thing to say I am asking everybody at the moment about what it's like how it's affecting you perhaps as a leader or what you're learning about leadership to be leading through these very difficult times. You mentioned a minute ago, for example, the fact that you're a very energetic person, but all you've got is a screen at the moment. I mean, what have you noticed about what it's like to work and lead through this pandemic moment? Oh my gosh. I mean, lots. One of the things we as a company, as Matt Projects, have realized is that There's this efficiency with being remote because you're a little bit captive, to be quite honest, right? So our diaries are always filled to the brink with meetings. And it's almost this mentality like if you don't have a full day of meetings, you're not working hard enough. And it's like white space in a diary is good. It's like, all right, twice a week I need the partners for a good hour and a half and we can bang out everything from finance to new biz to any other issues and then we're done. And I think that's going to help release a lot of things because we're in this space, we're in this bubble, and I'm finding it challenging because it is nonstop. It goes from, here's my day of meetings, then I'm going to eat some food, then I'm going to do, I mean, we joke, some of us in the, in the studio, we say, and then I'm going to do the night shift because now I'm going to read the emails, answer the questions, do the other work that I couldn't get done during the day because I'm on meetings all day. I find that I'm sure a lot of businesses are falling into this same trap where it's they, they become more efficient in a lot of ways, but because of that efficiency, then there's just more meetings and it's it's not necessary. We got to find ways to break up that rhythm, find ways to get out of the room, get out of the office, your home office, get out of your spaces. I mean, I know it's still a COVID world. I'm lucky because I'm in South Florida, so I'm able to go for a run. But even down here, I wasn't doing that in the beginning because it's like, there's so much work. We have so much to do. All of that energy was going into this screen. And now I'm starting to say, okay, let's reclaim some things. Let's get up earlier and do that workout. Let's 
break up the day. Let's find the time for self-care. I mean, I know for me, if I can't get that in my day, I become grumpy. I mean, anyone who knows me knows if I can't go to the gym or have some sort of sort of workout through any business. I mean, everyone will, if they, if they hear this, they'll be like, oh yeah, that's Ken. Because it's like, I'm just, I'm not as, you know, up and with it. So they know that for me, that's just very important. And I think it's important for everyone in eating well. <laughs> so that's what I've learned with all of this. You know, it's basically kind of like true things for good living, right? Okay, you're still in a job, but don't let it take everything out of you. Because, you know, even those lovely things of like a commute to your office, I miss that. Just having the commute, having some time to walk, to move around, to, to even to and fro work is so beneficial. We've lost that. So we got to kind of find ways to build it back in. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think to put it in coaching terminology, what you're talking about partly is boundaries. I mean, what you've just said is such a helpful, I think an important reminder. It sounds so obvious, but actually why it's so helpful is because a lot of people are struggling with their boundaries. I'm having more conversations than I've ever had as a coach with people about corporate burnout and about people who are really struggling with that thing. Exactly as you said, that sort of sense of because you're at home, you need to somehow be always on. And creating those boundaries and saying, actually, I need to put time in my day for exercise or for getting out in the fresh air or whatever is just incredibly important. It's never, I think there's never been a more important time for self-care than there is now for leaders and for everybody. Well, and I think, you know, in the beginning, we just thought COVID would be done in like six months, but here we are still. And it's like, wait, this is really unhealthy. Now we're really in it for a longer term. And it's just like, we need to really kind of be careful. And because I see it too, the burnout factor, it's like, we just need to make sure we're taking care of one another. Yes, sadly, it's turned out to be another kind of marathon, not a sprint, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so my last question, Kenneth, which I'm asking everybody, if you had to put one thing on a postcard about what you've learned that, you know, seems to matter more than anything else to unleash creativity around you as a leader, in terms of maybe how you show up or the conditions that you try to create, you've talked about so many great things. If you could only pick one of those things, or maybe it would be a different thing, what would you put on your postcard, do you think? For me, it's the five E's. It's excite, empathize, encourage, energize, and eulogize. And eulogize is a one that I find interesting. And for me, that means words of encouragement, but more importantly, like the definition of the term, written encouragement, an email to an individual, a text to one-on-one -on -one to someone, those kind of moments, I think, I mean, they always meant so much to me. They would mean so much to others as well. So it's just that kind of thinking of like, you know, make it personal and do it frequently, not just like one a year, but make it something you try to do once a week. Kenneth, thank you so much. I just think you've been such a great guest on this podcast. Uh, at the beginning, I described you as energetic and effortlessly engaging. And you really have just brought that wonderful energy and engagement to this conversation. What I love about listening to your story is that you just have had that incredible drive and infectious passion for the work and determination to bring your best self to life right the way through your story. And you've obviously had a very successful career, but also you've been adventurous. And I just think there's such energy and inspiring chutzpah in the way that you talk and some great lessons about leadership. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been really fun. Thank you, Alison. It's been my pleasure. That was a great conversation with the fabulous Kenneth Barlidge, MD at Map Projects. I particularly loved what Kenneth said about how important it is as a leader to be really present and flexible so that you can really notice and adapt to the different things your team need from you in order to do their best work. 
I also loved what Kenneth said about how important it is to pace yourself well through leading a change journey, not draining your energy by focusing too much on the things you haven't achieved yet, but drawing energy from the progress you are making. And then finally, I thought Kenneth's point at the end there about self-care, about how through these tough times it is so important to keep coming away from the screens when we can and look after ourselves with sleep and exercise and whatever it takes to nurture your energy was such an important reminder. I hope this episode has maybe given you a little fuel for your own Made Not Born journey, whatever path you're on. If you've enjoyed it, please rate, review, share and subscribe to Made Not Born wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. And finally, if you'd like to know more about my leadership coaching practice, visit growpeople.co.uk. Thanks for listening.